What's new, what's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I am Justin the Floor God. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show exploring the self and the self-made, talking with artists about their mindset, processes, and any means by which they found success. Rona are up next. Blending the real life into their psychedelic sound, Rona's entire catalog is just trippy banger after trippy banger. In this episode, we talk a lot about what it's like organizing and going on tour and about what it means to be a modern musician. A lot of interesting ideas about how to go about navigating a moment like this where there's more accessibility to music making materials previous to any other time before it and plenty of other neat ideas are thrown around. So definitely stick around and get to know the band. I learned a lot and I'm sure you will too. Let's get into it. I'm Andres. I play bass in the band. My name's Luca. I play drums and I sing. My name's Nick. I play guitar and I sing. I'm Austin and I play guitar. Rona, nice to have you guys on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Be here. Yeah. Of course. So tell me a little bit about the origins of the band. How'd you guys get your start? Well, we all met in high school. Usually how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> We've all met in high school, been playing music together for quite some time, played in just a few different bands together. Slowly over time kind of came together as Rona and as the group that we are now. I know at least for the what would be the Rona sound, it didn't start out that way. And you guys allude to that at the very end of your debut album with that song Green Haven, which if I'm not mistaken, was also the name of the original iteration of the band, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. say that. And that was like similar style, you know, but it was a little bit more all over the place in a way. Yeah. It's certainly all over the place. And there was, I don't know, there was just a lot of like immaturities, like musically, that we kind of had to grow out of, you know? Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys think changed, I guess, mindset wise for you moving from what was the Greenhaven sound into the present moment rona sound well that certainly had to do a lot with change in like musicians too because we originally had another one of our friends drumming with us when we first wrote that trey gonzalez and we also had um our other good friend singing at the time uh justin bruno we eventually parted ways and musically at least you know we're all still friends we also love each other very much Mm -hmm. we kind of were just writing we're writing all this new music and we're like we really got to figure out how to do this just as a unit, like as us four, because that's what felt like worked and was so simple and so easy. Essentially, that's kind of what a band should be. You know, things should just be easy and just go and move fluidly. We're kind of like, let's just try to find a way to do this all, you know, vocally and musically all together. And eventually we you know, worked out those kinks and that's kind of what became us. Yep. Yeah, I think between like there was a part in Greenhaven where I hadn't written any of the music I was playing yet. And that was, I was just kind of like doing my job. And then with that, when we wrote music, it ended up being also trying to be kind of like technical. And I think in a way that I was like excited to like, let that come out. So it came off that way. And then when we wrote stuff for Rona for the album, it was almost kind of like the same thing, but over again, like we were a four piece then and the music overall just kind of had this more instrumental vibe to it where we were really like jamming consistently over the whole thing once the excitement of that was done and we wrote that music what we're going into now is a more like focusing on the groove of things and like trying to make songs like fun and and not not so much just like a shred constantly even though we like that but that was definitely one of the yeah the transitions being being more of a unit yeah certainly just being 
unit me together let's definitely talk about the beautiful ordinary at least for that album and i guess this could be the same you can let me know but what's the process like whenever you go to write a song is it like a ritual like i gotta have this first or is it you know, circumstantial and completely different every single time. Shit, definitely circumstantial. Although I think it might have been more consistent in how it happened for the album because it ended up being a lot of us just like practicing together. Yeah. Now we still do that, but we've had a few ideas through like quarantine and whatnot where somebody was just, you know, writing into the computer with an yeah. idea. And that works great too. Yeah. I think it it's definitely with like the process that we've wrote for with the beautiful air, you know, it, like Lucas said, we were all in a room together. Majority of the time, there was a few songs here and there where it was like somebody else is bringing it into the practice, like and it's already pretty much like been formed and there's a nice structure. And it was really just kind of adding like the, the outfit to the song, the flair, the feel to it. Mm -hmm. And then I think there was one for like, or at least for grace and for green Haven, that was a lot left up to be like, let's just have fun within the studio. Yeah. And I mean, also for like songs like Rosewater too, with like the ending with the weird ambient part in the middle, like that was something we were like, let's get crazy. Like we knew we had that idea. Like we wanted to get pretty weird and crazy in that section Mm -hmm. that really kind of came to life in the studio. Cause at the end of the day, the album was tracked literally all in 10 days. Oh, wow. Um, so I think we did two sessions, like six consecutive days, then four consecutive days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something yeah, like that. It was crazy. Yeah. 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 So I guess in that sense, like the album was definitely more like jam right all together and then finish in the studio. Whereas this newer stuff we've been doing has been like some of the songs have come together in just in the studio. Some of them have come together from practice sessions or like similar, like one person brings an idea to practice and we formulate the song around that definitely depends on the day and the type of song. And yeah, I mean, that's something I definitely relate to as well. Maybe not the length of something like Rosewater, but definitely (laughs) in just songwriting in general, like it's all circumstantial for me, whatever you're feeling that day, you know, but I'm also curious yeah. about the name behind the album, The Beautiful Ordinary. Is it self-explanatory or is there something more to that? Well, I want to hear your take before we answer that. Like, what what do right. you think? Okay, okay. What do you mean by just asking? Is it just for what it is? Like, what are, what are you getting from sure, it? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I read The Beautiful Ordinary. I think maybe you're just kind of going about your day being more mindful of maybe individual processes. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I like to have my coffee and or tea every single day. And that's something that's become kind of a ritual, but it's at the same time, like I don't pay too much attention to it unless I'm focusing on slowing down and finding the beauty in the ordinary. So that's kind of where I come from. It's definitely like appreciating the ordinary things in life. And sometimes those tend to be the more beautiful things that we notice in life. So there was like a lot of different like deep facets to it that we talked about that kind of falls into like different themes in the album. But like for the most part, it's mostly just like appreciating those little moments in life and those mm-hmm. little things that is basically like living in the moment, mm-hmm. you know. Dre had a really good like explanation that when he first brought the name to us that it's like in life, you know, it's it's not just one stagnant experience. You know, you have your mm-hmm. highs and you have your lows. But when you're in that like perfect middle ground, that's like where you're the most at peace because you're not super euphoric and, you know, you're not sulking in your shit, essentially, (laughs) you know, kind of like that perfect middle ground where it's like it's like you said, your ritual, habitual life that you're just you're at peace with that you don't really recognize on a day to day basis. When you stop and think for a second, you realize the little things are nice. Every morning, I appreciate the hell out of 
pouring my cream into my coffee and just seeing like a beautiful swamp. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that is satisfying. Yeah. It's like you almost don't want to stir it, but then you're like, oh, I got to stir this or else it's not right. going to taste right. <laughs> yeah, I totally get you on that. Uh, just going off that coffee thing with the creamer, for whatever reason, one of my like most liked tweets to date, I mean, it's only got like, I don't know, seven, eight, but still like it was me ranting about hey, the man, fact good numbers for me that's true that's true i mean you gotta you gotta just compare it to your previous stuff so it's it's a good day for me when i get the, uh, that amount you know what i mean so um the tweet though it was about coffee creamer and pouring the creamer just right into my cup right so i said something like i'm 22 and still haven't figured out how to consistently get the right amount of creamer in my cup of coffee and so <laughs> to hear andre say that and just be like kind of flexing like yeah i got this <laughs> i'm a little jealous of to be honest but <laughs> well hey man that's kind of one of the things that i appreciate though is that it's never perfect i'm like sometimes it doesn't get a good swirl in there sometimes it's like an immaculate swirl. Yeah. so if you really want to break it down and make it simple man the beautiful ordinary what it means is it's about your damn cup of coffee in the <laughs> that's right that's right i like it i like it so yeah that's also cool though just going back to the whole process of kind of feeling the vibe some things were made a bit differently than how you've done it in the past that's just kind of how the process grows and things like that going off of what you were saying about the beautiful ordinary being like you're able to see life around you be in the moment interact with maybe physical things and, and spaces and whatnot is a very different concept when it's translated into your music which is very psychedelic just uh, what i'm trying to get at is that there's like this kind of two-sidedness to the concept of the beautiful ordinary being simple and physical and then the actual reality of how like you've made the experience for people to listen to your music through these super psychedelic hyper psychedelic even visuals and things like that too so when you're looking to make visuals specifically mm -hmm. how do you translate the sound into sight i guess like from really analytical like mathematical point of view like music it's literally the physical form of you know putting a vibration out into the universe like that's that's a sound music does go burr <laughs> um but like that's kind of like if you take a vibration like something like a freaking mandala or whatever if you put that out lay that out like that's essentially like a frequency right there you know like have you ever seen you know when people play like music through uh like the sand like put like sand yeah, over a speaker yeah. That's essentially kind of what we're doing, but you don't see that, you know? We kind of put that onto actual like visual and art and try to like mimic that. It's like almost just like essentially giving you that extra sense, like kind of putting those two senses into one, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that's also, sensible. <laughs> people can also relate that like simple Zen type stuff to that type of experience just yeah. for like realization. I, I, yeah, I don't mean to get all woo woo with that too, you know, but like, that's kind obvious. of like, like I said, I'm, I think of it more from like a mathematical point of view. Cause that's essentially what it is. I, I just think like from, you know, any visual stuff that we've done and like a lot of when we were playing live, we do have like uh, some cool projector footage stuff that we do. Some of the songs get pretty psychedelic -y, So like kind of reflecting that, but also just making it like eye catching without having the ability to like have these crazy high budget like in-person effects where like post stuff you can get away with doing some more trippy looking effects you know or like flashy stuff rather than like when you have big budgets you can do that like in camera or like from a built-in set you know so mm -hmm. not having those things making it look visually engaging you kind of have to challenge yourself to do it with effects in 
your editing software and stuff like that. So more fun that way. And, you know, we're not in the nineties anymore where it's like bands just look like a bunch of homeless people. (laughs) (laughs) And we want to put some effort in to make it fun and engaging, you know? Yeah. To be fair, we, we have had some people come up to us at shows that are like, dude, I'm stoned off my ass. That was insane. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. if we can create that for even yeah. a sober person or someone that is under the influence, then awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a great goal to have. And I think that your music definitely reflects that. I know when I listened to the live Rosewater set you guys did, I also watched the video that went along with that. Excellent work from, uh, I forget the guy who's behind the camera. You guys can let me know. Tristan. Tristan. Tristan Chandra. Yeah. Mandalay Social. Up, yeah man was killing it i mean you guys were too obviously like that part when i think it was austin like bent down and twisted like all the knobs and things to get yeah that, yeah, that part was sick i was like no dude because I, I i scrolled down to the description right and i was looking at the lyrics and i'm like there's no way they can fit like five words into a seven minute song and then you did and i was like oh man this is sick but i came out of that and i was like again like it's uh, like just the psychedelic nature of it it was freaking trippy it wasn't as like like visually psychedelic looking but like mm. the setting was cool and mm. like Tristan's camera movements and like the goal of the video with something like that was to let the music take the and even even then it. that's I think that like live session is a good example of like sometimes less is more and it's yeah it's not always about going overkill with like the effects and the trippy visual stuff you know it's yeah sometimes you can dial it back if you have you know a good camera guru and you got you know a nice setting to work with have the passion for what you're playing for sure and it doesn't matter well, yeah exactly what kind of setting you're in as long as that passion can shine through if it's true mm-hmm. or not you know um because yeah. they're definitely fakers out there doing their own thing you yeah. know i respect the hustle <laughs> but you know there's some disconnect there for sure sometimes yeah but yeah it definitely yeah. flows freely in your work for sure but yeah so i want to talk about tour life before we get into maybe some of the events during what those tours were like i'm also super super curious as to how you build those opportunities i'm looking at your spotify bio right now i see you guys have opened for quite a number of bands how do you network to that extent and have these opportunities to where you can open for a bunch of bands personally i've like built a network that comes with any like musical projects and endeavors that i've had over the years it's just has come with experience like i've been playing in bands for like almost 10 years now so like mm-hmm. coming with that experience i've been able to build a network of people that put on shows different booking agents different you know promoters around the area so yeah. it comes with that and then just shooting your shot like we just kind of sent some emails and you know made ourselves look as professional as possible and came out the gate like as professional looking as possible it just worked out like and it also i think was beneficial that like with our sound we could play with a variety of different bands so because we have all this uh, wide range of genres that we kind of dive into. We had more opportunities to email these different promoters, be like, hey, can we play this? Can we play that? Really just working for it because it takes like a lot of emails and a lot of no's to get some yeses. So, right. Yeah. It can also boil down to, you know, building, obviously building that network, but just going to shows and meeting people and, even at your shows, you know, mm-hmm. constantly meeting people and just being kind and friendly and, you know, just striking good conversations because you never know you know, what that can lead to and when it comes down to it. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I mean, I haven't had that specific experience, but at least through the podcast, that was one of the 
immediate benefits I noticed was just how much my own personal network was beginning to grow networking and just playing it as a numbers game, because ultimately that's all it is with the emails and stuff. Anyway, um, if that's the game, then play it to the best of your ability. So I definitely respect the grind. Tell me a little bit about what it's like actually on the road now. So was there anything that you thought tour life was going to be like that did not meet your expectations at all? Certainly there, there was definitely all pretty well laid out and, you know, expected. Plus we had a lot of guidance because Andres is a pretty well experienced person for that he's for a little bit he's he's a little bit of a road dog so you know he's he's got his his uh badges yeah i i had been on other tours before with like other bands and uh and have booked like helped book other tours in the past so like knowing mistakes that make those tours miserable when we were booking and playing this one i really Mm -hmm. really tried to make sure like everything would go as smooth as possible and thankfully like it was the best you know outcome we could have possibly asked for so yeah plus we we had before the tour that we had in january we had been doing weekenders like throughout the state and Mm -hmm. dipping a little bit georgia yeah i was exposing us to it yeah Mm -hmm. so we we were kind of already pretty comfortable with the idea of having to work in different like area different town try to find somewhere to crash and unloading and loading back in and going through the sound checks and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and having a good system for that we you know got that down pretty nicely the two hardest parts about being like a smaller band on a tour is like one going to places that you've never been before and then like not having a well prepared show at that date that will just like make a show absolutely miserable hmm. but thankfully like some of the places that we hit we had at least played on in like a weekender so we had built some sort of connections there so when we did come back we you know had a better turnout because of it and we made sure like the local bands on all the shows were promoting and we had some good lineups for pretty much every single night the other thing is like if you have absolutely no place lined up to stay at that can get miserable like not being able to shower or like sleeping in a van can kind of suck which you have to do on like longer tours but thankfully for this one we basically we got lucky we worked worked it out ahead of time to just basically stay at like a friend's house or like one of the band's house or we stayed at a, at a hotel one night, but every other night was just like staying at people's houses. That Didn't were... have to sleep in the van at all. No. Yeah. 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 I think one big thing, too, is like when Dre just mentioned, uh, you know, how we have went to places prior to a lot of the places that we did already book. The places that we didn't go to and that was our first experience being there. We also didn't try to overdo it. You mm-hmm. know, we. Yeah didn't try to take on too much than what we could you know handle obviously not being too humble um with the opportunity or like the show but also just trying to make sure we're not like booking too big of a venue or you know trying to constantly only book with bands that are like obviously way out of our reach for that area mm-hmm. you know kind of researching the scene that's there before going to and before setting the show up and finding people that are like of like mind level and also of just like mind mindset with mm-hmm. you know where they're at music researching the scene and like the venues prior to trying to book a tour is like huge mm-hmm. i always see people in like different diy pages and stuff like that that are talking about booking shows and whatnot the number one thing is like give yourself a month of just like digging through instagram digging through facebook i mean you could even go through TikTok now just finding these bands finding the venues they play at looking at like pictures see like who's more legit and who is just kind of not taking themselves as serious enough to support a band that's coming from out of state you know mm-hmm. doing that like 
finding their mindset out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Doing that research beforehand is huge in getting good results on a tour. For sure. And I think that's something that definitely you need to pay attention to, just surrounding yourself with the right people and making not complete guesses, you know what I mean? When it comes to finding places to play at or stay at. And so kind of shifting on to staying at, I guess, uh, in your pitch to uh, have me like check out you guys and see if you guys are going to be on the show. You mentioned that at one point or another, you were staying at a friend's house in Orlando and it was through that staying in that area that you were able to give one of your CDs to the previous band manager for Alice in Chains. So definitely tell me what that was about. What was that like for you guys? And yeah, just let me in on that story. Very random. Yeah, Yeah, really random. We're at a dog park. Dog park, (laughs) and we're just walking around. Her dog ran up to me, and I started playing with like her little puppy that was like a month old. Uh, And then... You know, everyone started chatting. I think uh, Amanda came over. Oh, the personnel is our photographer for the yeah, tour. Yeah, photographer. She <laughs> came over and she was talking to um, I forget what her name was, but the old manager of Alice in Chains. Her daughter was like senior in high school or something like that, getting into photography. They start talking, and you know, she sees a group of people that clearly look like a band or something. She yeah. asks us like what we're doing. Told her we were on tour, and she starts talking about like all these crazy tour stories. And we're just like looking yeah. at each other, like throwing what? drugs out the window and shit. <laughs> she she hasn't really name dropped anyone yet yeah. either. She's just kind of talking about different like experiences that she's had. And like in my head, I'm like, oh, dude, she's probably been on tour with like someone huge and mm-hmm. so i can't remember who asked her but uh someone asked her like who she's been on tour with or who she worked with and she was like oh yeah i used to manage alice in chains for like 20 something years wow it was more you did what now <laughs> <laughs> after that she tells us like more like detailed stories about how she's like had to like take one of them to like rehab or something and like had to, you know, throw drugs out the window. Yeah. It was just really funny too, because her daughter who was clearly like younger than all of us and probably didn't really like, she's heard all these band names before, but she doesn't really probably understand the full scope of it. Mm -hmm. She was just like, Oh yeah. Like I heard this story a million times. And we're just like, yo, your mom is a badass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we talked probably for like half an hour or so our friend's dog and their dog were like playing around. And then we parted ways and uh, she had mentioned something about like still being in contact with like some record label people. So we were like, dude, let's just give her a CD. I remember you like sprinted to the van because like our car, I don't know if you've been to that park, but our van was like all the way on one end and they were like walking the complete opposite direction. Oh no. So Nick like sprinted and we just got got to them in time as they were pulling out of their parking spot. Yeah, it was just kind of like fuck it, might as well do it, you yeah, know, like you know. just give him give him a CD and some stickers. <laughs> least maybe she'll enjoy the music because you know she's a cool lady yeah yeah that's pretty crazy and then also listening to all of her story or as many stories as she told you within that time frame um that sounds pretty crazy i can't imagine what kind of crazy car chase or something was going on to the point where she had to dump drugs out the back (laughs) it was definitely like uh oh shit we're about to cross the border and there's like a hundred cops up there i'm the only like sane sober person right now i need to get rid of all these drugs It's also like nice hearing that perspective too, because it's like yeah. you kind of got, we kind of got to see for just a moment, like a, a sliver of what it was like during a different time in music, mm-hmm. because so much has changed now, you know? Like, yeah. 
that mentality of like that rock star mentality that they certainly had. I mean, I, I can't really speak for him, but comes off that way for they're a lot of people. partying a lot. Yeah, they're yeah. clearly doing that where it's like people on tour don't tend to do it like that. Yeah. You know, now so you have no major responsibilities yeah. other than showing up and performing. Yeah. Right. That's a different. I mean, yeah. some some people still do, but I feel like it's a little bit more overrated now because yeah. you know, bands aren't like, bands are, but like the average touring band isn't like killing it enough to where that they can just party every single night. And also that just like is mentally draining. Yeah, and it's yeah. so taxing to your body too. On yeah. tour, man. Yeah. So you gotta wake up early to go to the next destination. So. It was yeah. It was just a cool like humbling thing as well because that was only our second night and it was like, oh, you really don't know who's going to be at your show or who you're even going to run into, you know, like, mm -hmm. so it was just a nice reminder to like, you know, treat everyone equally and just, you know, talk to someone and hear them out rather than just like ignoring people, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. Something Nick that you said about, I guess, previous rock star slash tour life mindset, you said it was different. You said they were kind of partying all night or at least appeared that way. I know in 2021, for sure, from what I've seen, people, you know, that's mostly unsustainable now. But do you like the current moment that we're in? Do you think that this is a good time to be a musician and making music? Yes and no. It's a really complex time. And I mean, that definitely is because of like the climate of the world we're in now mm -hmm. and just tensions that we have like socially and politically. But also it's a great time because like the technology, it's so easy to reach new people nowadays. And it's so easy to just connect and be able to write and record yourself and do all these things independently that, you know, musicians haven't been able to do in the past. But also you do kind of need to keep yourself in check because there's more eyes watching you. And I think it just goes without saying, like, it's good to do that regardless. I'm not saying that in a negative light because mm -hmm. kind of gets to improve on yourself better and more and more every day. There's definitely certain certain aspects that are great and certain aspects that it's like there's a little bit more pressure and that kind of pressure, that kind of like scalability, you know, with other people can definitely cause anxiety here and there with social media and just like the way things are nowadays. Also, were you were you asking that as like, how is it being somebody who like physically plays an instrument and like records live instruments as opposed to produces? stuff or was that just we like could, in general well i mean ultimately whatever you make it so we could get even into that there luca like same same question do you enjoy being a musician in the present time yeah i mean if we're if we're asking it like that yes certainly i think like if, if it was how how does it feel doing that in a time when like a lot of people are producing stuff mainly like through the computer mm -hmm. and maybe like the like hands-on skill of a instrumentalist like a little bit less because it's like easy to you know yeah make that's good sounds on your own yeah. i think that that's growing at the same time that people who are like really committed to like being instrumental musician and like playing the guitar or something and playing the drums they mm -hmm. all want to like get better and there's this new like generation of mm -hmm. people who are pushing the instruments and then i think that there's like a flow in between where like the people who are just doing the like in-studio production desire to have that on their music and mm -hmm. and also don't Mm -hmm. So like as things are going on and like new influences are getting like taken up into pop music and whatnot, people are either going to want that more for certain reasons or they're not. But I don't think they're either going away. Like I think now is a good time for everybody to do 
anything really like yeah. nick said things are, you know you can have relatively inexpensive gear or not and make really good sounds so like mm -hmm. as long as you're enjoying what you're doing the option and the availability for people to do what they want to do is like super high right now so yeah it's cool because like with what luke is saying where i like see is that like it's it's cool because like he said you don't have to have a lot of expensive gear and you can be a really good musician because of the way the internet is you could just like that musician could blow up or something and then they have the support they need to be you know the kind of musician they want to be but then you also have these people that have really good gear and mm -hmm. just like record something and they have good knowledge but they're not great musicians mm -hmm. but they have you know good knowledge of how this works like how to edit things and stuff and then they also get the same result but maybe it's not as deserving as the person but i you can't really say because it's it's so yeah all over the place you know there's right. so many different perspectives to look at it from and the with the way it is and how interconnected our world is now i just think it's cool that a lot of people can play and make music now like before mm -hmm. it was a little bit less accessible now it's pretty much accessible to anyone that can yeah you know plug in a computer even plug something into your phone nowadays like yeah. yeah it's so accessible now that really anyone can use this creative outlet that is really awesome and a beautiful art form so i think that's cool as long as like the it, passion's there too you get some beautiful results yeah i think it's cool now that there's more leverage over like record labels and stuff whereas like before going back to like you know bands from like 40 50 years ago even sooner than that like you had to have a big record label you had to have a big touring agent to be able to do all of those things and even just getting those things was incredibly difficult mm -hmm. nowadays you don't even necessarily need all that. You can do a lot of things independently and then get yourself recognized to the point where you can start acquiring those teams. You can start acquiring those things and have more leverage. Whereas before it was like, oh, you want to make it? Give us 100% of your royalties. Whereas it's like now it's like, ah, now you can leverage these industry people. So during quarantine, people started recording themselves and learning how to do it. And there was so many more YouTube tutorials and yeah easy access to learning how to do it and i think a lot of people have just resorted to that now so it's yeah. definitely a new environment and there's a lot more music just being made every day for yeah. sure yeah I, I completely agree with all of that i know at least on my end with accessibility and things i've been working pretty much on the computer since i got started um maybe like four years ago now at this point but right. even when it's like talking more about whether or not you want a real instrument or, you know, some synth in your like Ableton or Logic or whatever you use. Um, I find that when I, when it comes to bass, like I have a bass guitar like right behind me, but I've only used it in one of my songs. And for the most part, I prefer doing stuff through the computer and I just prefer the sound, um, which is kind of a, oh, an interesting little dialogue there as well. But before we get into Rona's advice for emerging artists, just wanted to remind you that you can listen to Rona on Spotify and other major platforms. And if you want to connect with them further, all links will be in the description. Follow our show wherever you go to stay updated on all things music. Within the next three episodes or so, we'll be moving into a video format as well, so the YouTube content going to be popping at levels previously unknown to the general public. Plus, it'll make for a better hangout session between us, yeah? So now for some advice. For aspiring musicians wanting to take their sound to the next level, 
What advice do you have for them? Give well, them production advice. Yeah, you... Everything's on the internet now. So you can, like I was saying before, you can look up how to do anything on YouTube and you can really... YouTube college. Yeah, it's yeah. literally YouTube college, exactly. Like, there's just... <laughs> everything's out there right now. So just use your resources wisely. So the more, the more just try it yourself. More, yeah, more try it yourself. You'll fail at first for sure, but <laughs> <laughs> you go yeah. the fire, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll learn what works and what doesn't work and how to make your mixes better. Cause the first mixes you do, like you're going to go out to the car and it's going to be straight up mud. And then uh, after you tweak it and tweak it and then like learn what you did wrong, then it'll just come out good. So it's mm -hmm. trial and error, but also using your resources. I have a couple students. I teach some music. So I'm always in the mindset of like practice your instrument, but try to constantly figure out sounds or like styles that you have never really played before and even if you don't like the music or like like that kind of style just try to find something that you can learn from it because you'll really figure out that that it will improve upon whatever you're trying to play you know as, as a musician like that i feel like that's kind of the core of what you're doing like as somebody who's aspiring to do great things in music you you want to make sure that like that foundation that's where it all starts that's what it's about no matter what happens you know whatever you're doing like in a band or as a solo artist or whatever the hell you're doing mm -hmm. focus on just being a musician before everything else i was gonna say be very like intimate with your influences like know what they are and like find the ones that really touch your your soul basically but also don't be so connected to them that you're not able to like do something that's totally unrelated to anything that you've seen. Cause then when you're in that zone, those things start coming in like subconsciously and you just kind of make like new and beautiful things out of whatever you did know from before, but you know, out of thin air, basically. Andres. Yeah. Well, I guess for musicians, like whatever level that a musician is at, whether they're just starting or they're like, an absolute pro all the knowledge is out there nowadays on how you can produce how you can do this and that i think it's always important to remember to have fun doing it like that sounds like a corny thing to say but like mm -hmm. a lot of times when you are doing all these things to level yourself up as a musician a lot of those things boil down to not necessarily playing your instrument like at the core of it to level up your music, just practice writing songs like crazy, produce things, play as much music as you can. But when you're doing all these other things that you sometimes have to do as a musician, try and have fun with them because a lot of times it can be stuff that you don't necessarily want to do, but you kind of have to do. So I guess to like simplify what we're all saying, do the work yourself at the core, make sure that you're having fun and that you are being a musician before anything else. You gotta have fun. That's what it's gotta be. And, and make sure the chemistry with the people you're working with is always good. That too.